welcome to the Goes and Girls podcast. Goes and Girls is an online book club for women which aims to empower and inspire women through the lessons we learn reading non-fiction books. I'm really excited to have you on the podcast, Beth. Thank you so much for coming on. It's my great pleasure. Thank you for having me. Um, how are you feeling after book number two is now out in the big wide world? Oh, I just had such a fantastic time launching it. It feels ever so special, actually. Um, I think my kind of love affair with Japan has been a very private thing for the last 20 years. You know, it's been many, many, many hours of working away in libraries and wandering through temples and quiet gardens and all these things. And um, this new book, Wabi Sabi, has been an amazing opportunity, I think, first to have some incredible conversations with people, um, but then to share it with the world and introduce so many more people to the world of Japan and Japanese culture that I love um, in a way that hopefully helps them in their lives. It just, just feels like a real gift. It feels like this book had to be written and I'm just lucky that I got to write it, actually. Yeah. And I feel like this book was absolutely meant to be written by you. <gasps> what makes you say that? I didn't really, I've never been to Japan. I didn't really know that much about Japan. But reading it, like I love the way that you write anyway, but it just it just felt like we were just getting right inside to your uh, inside your head and inside of how you feel about Japan. And it just I just found it really infectious and I can't imagine feeling like that through any other author I guess because I know how much you love Japan (laughs) (laughs) that's a really wonderful thing for somebody to say thank you so much and yeah it's it's funny because there I think this is a really it it made me realize something really important about just our careers in general I think because there's so many things that have happened in my life connected to Japan Um, and when you think about the fact that me learning Japanese was really quite random in the first place um, there's so many things that have happened where I've just done something that was interesting not with any particular strategy or to get a promotion or more money or anything like that and all of those things have all come together now to allow me to write this book so just it was a real lesson to me and don't worry too much about whether the next step makes sense if you feel really connected to an opportunity just do it because it will probably serve you at some point in some way you can't even imagine Definitely. I totally agree. So I want to kick off by asking you um, what, because obviously throughout the book, I don't want to put too many spoilers in because I, I think that everybody should read it. But I just want to, I want to know what Wabi Sabi means for you. It's like the million dollar question. <laughs> because, because, Wabi Sabi, is, <laughs> it's a word that I don't know whether your listeners have heard of it or not, but it's, it's a word I think has been kind of in the zeitgeist lately. And actually, um, interestingly enough, it was picked as a global design trend by one of the top trend forecasters for 2018. And um, so it's very much, I think, been in the consciousness. Oh, wow. of, yeah, I think it's been in the consciousness of a lot of, artists and designers for some time um, as a word that describes a particular kind of visual look and really based in this idea of 
finding beauty and imperfection. Um, but for me, Wabi Sabi goes an awful lot deeper than that. That is one aspect of it. Um, and I can understand why people have come to use the word that way. But it's really much more about the way that we experience life with all our senses, the way that we are connected and part of nature and understand by by really thinking about how nature works we can be reminded of so many important life lessons and you know fundamentally that our lives are not here we're not here forever our lives will end at some point that we are always in motion in terms of what's going on in our lives um, and that fundamentally the what the one that really if you think about it I think is mind-blowing is the fact that nature reminds us that because everything is transient, nothing is ever finished, that means nothing is ever perfect, which means imperfection is the natural state of everything, which means we are supposed to be imperfect, not the finished perfect thing. And it just goes against everything that the media and everyone who's selling us something tells us, but it's just such an important understanding, I think, I could... For, for our for our well-being yeah I love that and I I think throughout the book um there were moments that made me kind of step back and think about like my surrounding and because I think quite often like you were saying about the senses we often do things where we don't take into account all of our senses and there's a bit in the book where um you bump into there's a boy on the street and he's on his phone and you're pointing up to the sky and you say like look at that yeah and, and I don't that's just, so powerful just, because for, for listeners I'm not completely I don't just go up to strangers and point to the sky there was a double rainbow in the sky and I was <laughs> so completely in awe of this rainbow yeah. I had to stop this guy who was looking on his phone and say look at the sky it's phenomenal <laughs> Yeah, which that like that does happen, you know, that happens quite often, I think. But we could, I think what it just highlights is that we could miss that really magical moment because we're always just concentrating maybe on like two senses or a couple of senses at one time. We're not always fully aware, you know, like quite often if I'm going out to walk the dog then yeah, there are times when I'm also checking my email at the same time and I might like miss something that's amazing that I wouldn't actually get from unless I was going for a walk so and I love that throughout the book there's so many references to those kind of things yeah and that rainbow was a double gift because it was one of the most spectacular things I've seen in nature and it was just on a street in Oxford but the second thing was the instantaneous connection between me and this teenager that I'd never met before you know like I literally reached out to him touched his arm and I was like look at the sky and then we turned around and looked at it together and there's like this moment where we are kind of like in a bubble together and of course after two seconds that's gone but it was an amazing experience to share with this person who's also looking at this beautiful thing in nature and I think it's not just like you say it's not just what we see it's the experience of what we see and I think something that exploring this idea of wabi-sabi has really taught me is that beauty is kind of um it's a conversation and it's not that we just look at something like a painting oh that's pretty Uh, beauty becomes real beauty when we are part of the experience of it so when we are thinking about it when we're reflecting on it when when it's having an emotional impact on us. And I think that's something I've really learned from Japanese culture. Yeah. I actually think that that's something which 
again is really lovely about your book is it almost like generates a conversation I mean when I was reading it my boyfriend was like what is that that you're reading and then it sparks a conversation so that in itself like your book is almost an experience because of the way I think it's written it gets you it just really gets you thinking in a very different way I just got shivers (laughs) <laughs> I'm oh. so happy <laughs> I'm a big fan of this book <laughs> yeah. and one of my friends actually who's an amazing musician just said to me that reading it she um recognized something in music that she never had a word for um about you know the the importance of the silence between the notes and um mm. that when you hear an amazing symphony she was talking about a piece of music that she'd heard from a famous um, composer when she was a teenager and she was having like a really angsty time and she really connected with this music. And later on in her music study, she found out that the, the composer had been having exactly the same feelings in his life at the time he composed it. And she's like, almost like the music had become this portal between them as human beings, even though he's, you know, long since passed centuries ago. Um, mm. And that there's something in this idea of... Um, having this conversation with beauty, not just a visual kind of beauty, but an experiential kind of beauty, which absolutely can be found in music. Um, yeah. it's, it's like she found some vocabulary for something that would be really important to her. And I think that's one of the wonderful things about when we look to other cultures. It's that quite often there's dangers in doing that because you can make sweeping generalizations or you can misinterpret a word. Um, yeah. As far as I'm concerned, as long as you, um, you, know, you, you really think about it in the context of your life and it helps you see your own life, in a particular different way that's helpful to you then you know I don't think it really matters but I think it can be fascinating to to get to the root of where something's come from definitely it's it's so nice to kind of be able to hear where it comes from because I think there are often so many ways of living and so many things that we're taught but there's never really real meaning behind it and I it really just, I mean, it opened my eyes, obviously, to Japanese culture, but so many things that I hadn't really thought about, like the tea ceremony and all of those things, which you can just see how those certain traditions are now reflected in, you know, in modern day um, life, which is just just really lovely. And I think one of the things I'm really grateful that I had the opportunity to do is kind of translate that out of the Japanese language, because um, I know one of the tea masters I talked to, um, he is an incredible philosopher when you hear him talk, but he never talks about philosophy in his tea lessons. He just teaches people how to make tea and do the tea ceremony in a tea ceremony room. But there is so much in the way that he does it that teaches people. Um, and that's a real big part of Japanese language and, and the way people are. And that's something that's incredibly difficult to pick up, even from a textbook, but definitely um, from kind of outside when you're just dealing with Japan in your own language. Um, mm-hmm. And so hopefully some of, you know, the, the fact it's been so long there um, and have you know lived with so many different people in different environments there has has allowed me to kind of extract a little bit of that, like push the curtain back a little bit and, and kept lots of mystery. I definitely want people to go and, you know, yeah. themselves, but enough to, to make you curious. There's definitely a lot of moments in the book where I was like, oh, I want to know more. Or I wish I could almost, I wish I could see that or, you know, like see you experience, experiencing that. Or I wonder what that looked like. So it's definitely, it made me want to book a, flight to Japan like now <laughs> <Yay>. <laughs> so um so off, obviously throughout the book um each chapter is kind of split out into different 
different things like um, living with nature, acceptance and letting go, um, relationships, careers, etc. What would you say has had out of all of the chapters, which chapter do you feel has had most most significance in your own life? There, I think there are two. I think one is a product of age and one is a product of becoming a mother. Um, mm. And so the first one, which is age, is acceptance and letting go. Um, accepting, um, acceptance is a really tricky word, I think, and we get a bit hung up on it, um, yeah. thinking that accepting bad things means um, we think it's okay for people to treat us badly or whatever. And it doesn't mean that at all. Um, it's really about taking back your power and realizing that even when stuff happens, that's horrible or is nothing to, you haven't been a part of you know, that thing happening, you can still, um, decide what happens next. And it really, yeah. I think the, the thing I've learned from Japanese people who are incredibly resilient is about the way they separate the emotional response to something happening and how they take action on it. So it doesn't mean that they don't get, and again, this is, you know, it's dangerous. It's a sweeping generalization, but just from my personal experience that they don't, um, the emotion doesn't cloud the um, action taking I mean we've seen that in the in the um, aftermath of the tsunami um, which is you know what seven eight years ago now it was utterly devastating and as you know the emotional side of it is exactly the same as for any human being but the action-based response was unbelievable the speed at which they dealt with the actuality of the situation and I'm sure many people then went on and had you know that kind of emotional response came out in full later um, but I think it's really helpful to be able to get really present when something difficult is happening and go, okay, this is the facts of what's going on. And based on those facts, this is, you know, this is what I'm going to do about it can really take away, uh, take a lot of heat out of the situation and help you cope and better with it. So that's been, and, and then the other part of that is letting go, letting things go. So when something, you know, something happens like you're rejected or someone gives you a negative comment or something doesn't go the way you want it to, the older I've got, the better I've got at going, it really doesn't matter. Like people say, you know, every closed door is another, is just a a door closer to the next yes and all that. And it's those things, they're really nice things to hear, but often I don't think we actually take them in. But it's no, you definitely don't. <laughs> no, we go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then something bad happens, you're like, oh. <laughs> but yeah. I, think I definitely hang on a lot less to the the kind of loud um, voices that come when something doesn't go, um, mm. how, you know, how you want it to. And I move a lot faster onto the next good thing. Um, and, and just, yeah, just, just letting stuff go. Like in, in an argument, just, I don't really argue. Actually, I'm, I'm, I try very hard not to argue um, just because yeah. I like a peaceful life. <laughs> um, yeah. So if something happens that is really annoying, I just let it go. Like, And that doesn't mean I let people walk all over me. Of course, I will say something if it's inappropriate, but I pick my battles, I think. Um, yeah. and so, so that's been a really, really important thing for me in terms of just how peaceful and calm my life is. Um, on an emotional basis that's been really helpful Um, and then the other one is cherishing the moments um, which is the last chapter of the book I think it's probably my favorite chapter it's you know I have two children under five one of them starts school on Friday I can't believe it she was like a baby yesterday (laughs) yeah I you know and I've written two books in the time since she was born um, and it just shows how how fast life goes past and that there's been, you know, of course, we, you know, we run a busy business as we've moved house about five times during 
that time um, and we're moving house again like right now I'm surrounded by boxes yeah. <laughs> um, there's there's just there's a lot of movement in, and I think it's very easy to get caught up in that motion in your life sometimes it's helpful and sometimes it just sucks you away from the, the gorgeous detail that's going on and I mm-hmm. think right really um, learning to be present in particular moments so noticing when something beautiful is happening and this is really um, an important part of, of wabi-sabi for me wabi-sabi is a feeling and it's a feeling that we it's an emotion like a intuitive response to something beautiful that is reminding us about the true nature of life and so that might be just like that moment when one of my daughters is staring at me with the most beautiful smile on her face like having just realized something new about the world and that when you just want to go snap that's in my memory I want to keep yeah. that moment that you know put it yeah. in my pocket of memories um and and just really looking for those um those moments in the day and you don't have to have children <laughs> for that to be a thing you know it can be when you're walking down the street and you see like a tiny flower pushing its way through the concrete and you're like wow you know like it's, yeah. it's, kind of, it's not and it's not always wow like a big wow like that amazing sunset or something just like the <gasps> life is amazing (laughs) yeah I think those moments are so so special because I think so often we we're so quick to like try and capture that moment with our phone or take a photograph of it and actually it's even the same as um like an accumulation of stuff so like I really love photos and you know I have hundreds and hundreds and probably thousands of photos printed and I have all these albums which they're all in and actually somebody said to me the other day you know your memories and your moments are all like in your mind you know you don't necessarily like when was the last time you actually looked at that photograph but I'm probably somebody who would openly say that I often try to capture a moment by Mm -hmm. taking a photograph but it doesn't mean that it's just because I haven't taken a photograph it hasn't left me um, and there was parts actually in, in that last chapter, which we're talking about, um, that the, there was a, a part, I've just opened the page here, finding joy in the small things. I think, you know, we take pictures of those grand moments, but actually those small moments can give us just as much joy as those massive moments. Absolutely. I'm so glad you picked up on that. I th- and I think it's interesting because if those, your, that special moment involves another person, you almost certainly kill the moment by taking a photograph of it. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> if it's, if it's, there's no other person involved and it's just nature, like the flower coming through the pavement, like I just said, of course you can take a picture of that and that flower's still there, but it's, it's allowing yourself those five seconds to, to have that experience mm. and think about it and then get your phone out and take a picture of it, you know, and, and capture yeah. it so you remember. And, and it's absolutely, you know, post it so that you can inspire other people to look out for flowers coming through the pavement. You know, that's fine. But yeah. um, it's, it, I think the thing is that we cut off the experience so fast in order to um, put it on social media often. Um, yeah. and, and usually the motivation to do that is so other people go, wow, look at you. Wow, look at your life. Whereas what I'm saying is look at your own life. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And don't you think that actually when, say if you're, I don't know, at like um, an amazing um, 
outdoor production of something, for instance, or you're watching a live performance, um, somebody singing or performing or whatever. And so often you see somebody with a mobile phone out or you see hundreds of people with mobile phones out. And actually, when you think about it, we're actually not thinking about how that's affecting other people's experiences because so often, like I can recall going to some amazing performances but almost feeling like what I remember of that experience is just how many people were watching it through a, their telephone, you know, they're watching it through their camera lens. That's so interesting. Um, yeah, they're affecting other people. And also the fact that those people who are watching through their phones, and I'm saying, I'm not saying this in a critical way. I do, I've done it myself. Of course I have, although I'm pretty sure I've never actually used any of those kind of videos that I've taken. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> the irony is that we take these things that we do, but that you've, you've taken what is an, all-round multi-sensory experience that you are gifted with the opportunity to be in the middle of it and you have shrunk it to a one two-dimensional on a phone screen using really only your eyes because you're sucked into your phone and you've taken this magnificent huge experience and made it like two inches wide it does it's it's crazy it's really crazy and even if you want to capture it then you know take two seconds and then put your phone away and just be there. And I think that's the thing, just be there in your own life. Um, And you find out so much more richness right where you are instead of always going out to look for it, you know? Yeah. Oh, that is so true. And it feels like that's perfectly timed because it's scroll-free September right now. So I'm actually trying to be very mindful of scrolling and how much screen time. So all the more reason why we're having this conversation now. (laughs) I've never heard of Scroll Free September, but it's yes, there's like a whole thing on um, on Instagram about it. I think it's like um, it's. I might get I might have this wrong, so don't quote me, anybody. But I'm sure it's been set up by like the Department of Health, and oh, wow. it's to encourage people to spend more time off screen and sc- not scrolling, um, and more time just enjoying the moment. So yeah. it feels like. Your books come at the right time. <laughs> I mean, as with anything, you know, Instagram, for example, I mean, Instagram's the obvious one, is an incredible source of inspiration. You know, mm. if you're using it in a way that serves you, then it, it's a mind-blowing tool that we haven't ever had access to before, it, yeah. apart from this tiny sliver of time in life right now, right? So yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm grateful for it, and I'm not for one second saying ditch all social media, because also, yeah. you know, you somebody on there might be a doorway to something which is amazing in your life I think the the point is about just being really conscious about it um, and not spending more time in other people's lives through the screen than in your own you know Mm, totally yeah so speaking about or speaking of um distractions and juggling lots of things um what do you do or what have you been doing uh, to practice your own self-care whilst you've been writing because I imagine it must be really difficult to juggle you know you've got two small children a husband you've got this you know you're traveling and you're writing what do you do in those moments that's just for you 
<laughs> I'm laughing at the irony of this question. <laughs> um, okay, the truth is, so what, with this book, it's come about very quickly. So it's really a year from um, the idea, like the conversation with my agent, even though I'd been carrying around the concept in me for 20 years, like the actual first yeah. time I voiced it out loud to my agent and it became a book deal and then I wrote it and then it was um, you know, published last week. So that's really a year from start to finish, which is very, very fast. Um, for a book like this and for anyone yeah. who, who doesn't know about non-fiction um, you know putting putting ideas to agents and publishers you really normally only submit one chapter um, and then they the publisher that you work with will help you shape the rest of the book so you don't have a manuscript beforehand so the reality of this book is that I was writing from um, January through to April um, yeah. I had a very very tight deadline because of the this Wabi Sabi just being in the air, like everybody could feel like we need this this kind of book right now. So the publisher was like, it has to come out by the end of August. And because of their processes, it had to be finished by the middle of April. Um, so I really had, you know, four months to write it, which is no wow. whatsoever. Um, I'd done a ton of research um, already, but, you know, still I went to Japan twice in that time. And I really had to just sit down with my business partners because we run three businesses um, and my husband as well, he works with me in my business, but also, of course, is my life partner and helps with yeah. very much. Um, I say helps, like, you know, we are partners in our family. Um, yeah. and, and have a really honest conversation saying, this, I've got this opportunity. It's incredibly important to me because of, you know, all these years I've been studying and committed to Japan and everything. And it feels like the time. Um, but the only way I can make it happen is to basically go um, off the radar for four months. Um, and uh, if you look at my Instagram, um, I think I posted 10 times between January and April. And now yeah. I'm posting like three times a day. <laughs> like yeah, I, you, I have to say you were very off the radar. <laughs> I really did. I went and, um, you know, Facebook was mostly auto posted and set up. Um, and I just really focused all my, you know, I, I did the absolute minimum essential stuff for, for work. And then, um, and I had a glorious time. I mean, yeah. it was a dream. I, you know, we... Um, I was away, like I said, in Japan. One of the trips was um, nearly a month long, which is, you know, that was emotionally is difficult with my children being so small, but um, was just a dream, you know, taking this really big question and going, have, going to have amazing conversations with Zen monks and architects and um, farmers and, all, you know, all these things, just a dream. And then I went on a writing retreat twice as well uh, at the amazing Arvon Writing Centre um, in the north of England. And so I had these big chunks of time, which, which was work. And I think sometimes it's hard for other people to understand that you are working, you know, and my, my yeah. little one who's four um, brilliantly came up to me and said, so mommy writing is basically sitting on a sofa, lazy, being lazy. And I'm like, no, <laughs> <laughs> yes, it kind of is. No, it's not. Um, and, and so, so that time I was, I, I was probably in better health than I have been in the last five years because I was yeah. just in my creative zone. I was going to, you know, walking. I, I get all my good ideas when I'm walking. So I was walking miles and miles through forest and fields and all these things. Mm. Um, and so that, so that was not a problem in terms of self-care. The, the challenge has been since then um, yeah. up to the launch because what happened was, a year ago, I booked to teach at um, and the amazing 1440 um, wow. in California. That's coming up um, in eight days' time. Um, and then I got the de book deal, which set the publishing date uh, 10 days before I have to get on a plane to California. And then my daughter didn't get into any school, so we decided to move to Devon 
um, which means we have to sell our house, which we've just done, and um, move out of here. And she starts school on Friday. So suddenly three absolutely enormous things have fallen in the space of two weeks. Yeah. You know, and of course, I'd had essentially four months of three businesses. And so there was a massive stack of stuff waiting for me. And then I had to plan the launch. And so this has been a massive test. And also from April, um, I decided that I really needed to commit to some kind of exercise. Um, yeah. And yeah, so I joined a, a gym, which I, I don't like gyms, but I joined a, a gym where they train small groups of people. Like, you know, you never have more than four people in a group. And I committed to three times a week. Um, and in five months, I've taken 10 years off my metabolic age, which I was <laughs> I read that. Yeah. I was like, wow, that's amazing. Yeah, I was very shocked when I first went there and it said I was I had a metabolic age of 50 when I'm only 41. Um, yeah. Now it's 40, so I feel better about that. But I think um, that was, much as I didn't really enjoy it, like going to the gym at 7 in the morning, it's not my mm-hmm. thing really, I'd much rather go for a country walk, um, which is why I'm moving to the country. Um, yeah. But um, having that in, in the diary with a commitment to somebody who's expecting me to turn up um really really helped with the actual exercise piece of it um and then just I think it is really just trying to split out when I'm working hours and non-working hours and um not sitting I get I'm really bad at sitting at my computer for too long um you know kind of mixing up where I'm working that you know sometimes when you have your own business you you can't escape the fact that you have a big chunk of stuff to do I mean we have a team it's not that I don't delegate anything or I don't you know pay other people to do stuff which is a good solution um there are just things that you have to do yourself as the as the business owner um and I think when those crunch time comes it's a it's a case of managing your time really carefully making sure you have time for family and the important people and then also crucially building in recovery time so for me I have absolutely nothing in my diary for October or the first two weeks of November because I know I'm going to need six weeks recovery after this insane three months yeah but even just allowing yourself to have that time and obviously you know it's amazing that you have the support of your friends and family and things where you know you can go off and and do the the um time in Japan that you needed but it was like you recognized that that's what you needed to needed to do for yourself so I think that in itself is a massive gesture of self-care because you know what's right for you and your body and your mind. Mm. Mm. It's a good way of looking at it. It's true. And I, I, th- I did a much better job of it this time than compared to the first time I wrote a book. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, you learn. You learn as you go, don't you? Because that's the thing with anything new. So, so um, talking of books, um, I always think that you're, I remember the first time that I met you actually, and you gave me so many amazing book recommendations. So, um, I'm a walking I, library. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Aren't we all just walking libraries? Yeah. <laughs> like that in a minute. Um, so what, for, for the, um, those, those people listening, what books have really shaped you and have helped you? Like what books have really stood out for you? I think two of the most important books in my life I read in my probably late teens, I think. Um, The Sacred Journey of the Peaceful Warrior by Dan Millman. Yes, that was Um, one of the ones you recommended. (laughs) Right, yes. And Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance by Robert. That was was the other one. How funny. And and, And it's so funny that now, like, like not being kind of, um, to blow my own trumpet, but 
my book right now is number one in Zen philosophy, um, alongside Zen and the Art of Most Cycle Maintenance. And to me, that is, that's like, a, it's a really beautiful thing that, you know, like 20 years on, that book has been so important to me my whole life. Um, and it, it just shows you what's possible, I think. Um, that's amazing. It's, it's really exciting. So those two are really important. And I think the reason they're important is because um, for Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, there's one particular chapter in it when he's talking about what quality means that I've never managed to get, even now, I must have read it like eight times and I don't really reread books much. Um, there's, I, there's one kind of bit of his thought process I can't get through. And so I really want to go back when I've got my quiet time later in the year and read it again. Um, yeah. That fascinates me because he's so intelligent um, and yet the story's so interesting and uh, so human. Um, and, it make, and I think it really, as a teenager, it kind of blew my mind, this, all this idea of philosophy. Um, mm. And then with the sacred journey of the peaceful warrior, um, for anyone who doesn't know the story, it's about a guy who was an amazing um, gymnast, American guy, um, who had a really bad accident. Um, and he, um, it's not really about his accident or anything, but he has reason to, he's quite depressed and has reason to have an encounter in the middle of the night with this old guy who runs a gas station. Um, and this guy seems to have magical powers. And I think you never know still to this day I don't really know whether the story is true or not like I can imagine that it actually could be true I don't think it is true I think it's kind of his story with um, you know it's kind of projected into more fable but I love that I don't really know and I don't really mind I don't know I think it just opened my eyes to the fact that life can be magical yeah and also for me a really big thing is for people to appreciate that their own journal it you know is a really important book um yes whether they read it back or not just it's not only other people's books and other people's ideas that count you know yeah and I think that's why journaling alongside reading is just so important yeah because it's just one massive journey so um what are you reading at the moment I always have about 10 books on the go. <laughs> Let me think, what am I reading at the moment? Um, and in, I think it's called An Enchanted Life um, by Sharon Blackie. I love her. She wrote um, If Women Rose Rooted. Um, oh, I just got that book, If Women Rose Rooted. I haven't read it, but I just got it. It's fantastic. Um, that, that's my big challenge with Kindle is because it doesn't remind you on every page what the book's called. I kind of read these books, gobble them up, and then I'm like, what was that book called? Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's time to see the front cover. But yes, um, that's, she's, she's wonderful. So that was really good. Um, I'm, at the moment, I'm on this amazing storytelling course, which is five weekends over the year um, in Dartmoor um, with one of the world's most incredible storytellers, um, a guy called Dr. Martin Shaw. And he's written three books which um, are really kind of taking apart the old uh, myths and um, not, not legends, like famous legends, but um, stories that have really been part of oral culture um, yeah. and kind of translating them, I guess, for our lives today. But I, I literally, when you, you go, we go for these weekends and we sit on the middle of the moor around his, he's drumming around a fire and he's t- talking for three hours, telling you this story of, of ghosts and goblins and dragons and all this stuff and oh, it's wow. just incredible and his language is amazing and his book I don't know how well known his books are but they are some of the most beautifully written books ever so if you if you want to write better 
Dr. Martin yeah. Shaw is a brilliant person. To, um, his books to read. Um, yeah. Branch from the Lightning Trees one. Um, yeah, any of the ones he's written. He's written about three. Amazing. So this is going to be my last question. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the question I always end with, which is um, if you could give one book to every woman across the world, yeah. what would it be? I would have to say Wabi Sabi. I love that you said your own book. Amazing. I have to say my own book because I wrote this book because I, this is the, the big difference between my first book and my second book is the first book was really my own story um, yeah. and taking that and kind of sharing some nuggets from that. This mm. is not my story. There's, there's picture, there's stories of my time in Japan encountering these things, yeah. but this is centuries old wisdom that we really really need in the world today I think women have so much unlocked potential because they compare themselves to other people um, because they think they have to be perfect before they can even begin never mind move forward and it's just not true Um, and I think I hope very much um, that this helps people just feel happier and more uh, kind of in the presence of beauty in their own lives and I think if every woman in the world felt like that then oh my goodness can you just yeah imagine? what an incredible place <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that amazing well thank you so much Beth um I am really excited for what's next for you and I'm sure there will be I hope there will be another book at some point but um thank you for coming on thank you and thank you for what you're doing it's really amazing I think to open people's eyes to new books that they might not come across and I love your new subscription idea Uh, you know just giving someone or yourself the gift of well-being once a month um, is is a yeah. really really important thing to do so thank you for doing this and for having me on the show thanks Beth <laughs>